You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Good afternoon and welcome to America's Web Radio once again. And uh, we've got our favorite agent in charge, Mr. Sandy Bostic, on the line. And um, uh, <laughs> we're, we're jumping in the world's wrestling ring today, I think. And uh, it may take a few sessions to get out of here. I don't know. I wanna, we're in one of those cages and we're going to fight our way out one way or the other. But... Uh, Many of you uh, noticed uh, an incident in Dallas, and I'll let Sandy go into that. But uh, it's, uh, you know, this uh, pandemic has brought out, well, you know, everything, it seems like, is bringing out the bad side of uh, lots of folks. And uh, the pandemic has won, and uh, then we had, we've had numerous in- incidents that I'm going to let you address, Sandy, and uh I'll I'll chirp in every now and then when uh, when something gets in my craw. So with that being said, here's our agent in charge. Morning, David. It's always good to be back as usual, and, and uh, thanks for the intro there. And, and uh, what we're talking about this morning, and you and I have spoken about this in depth the last couple of days. And, and uh, but like I say, when uh, when something uh, happens along the line, of course that's uh, current. You know that's. Uh, noteworthy and it falls in line with what especially what we're going to try to cover today you know it, it's a uh, it's a uh, good idea for us to, to compare that to what has happened historically I've always said that you can't understand life if you don't understand the history of, of life you know and, and the way things happen so we're going to start out with a uh, a, uh, a, a subject here that that uh, took place this last week in Dallas and uh, and then go on to something that's more current that you're also seeing, but happened back at the beginning, beginning of uh, President Trump's uh, uh, administration uh, with the uh, the arrest or the uh, the firing and, and the eventual arrest and conviction of, of Michael Flynn. But today's topic is going to be we started out investigating this FBI. That was what we talked about. Then we thought, you know what? Maybe we just need to simplify this and just call it governmental abuse of power. And, uh, and and where it has gone, and and, uh, and where it's going, and, and what we need to do to slow it down. And uh, so, first of all, abuse of power. Uh, I'm going to talk about a uh, up in Dallas, and this is this is current in the news. And this is when I was in Fort Worth about a week ago uh, visiting my son. This all this all happened, and now that this lady has uh, has uh, had time for things to go through courts, you know, she's actually going to look for a judge. This lady's name, she's a Dallas salon owner, uh, beauty salon, and a hair salon, I guess you'd call it, in Dallas. And uh, back on, what day? It was last Monday, I believe it was. Not Monday week ago, I believe it was. Uh, she uh, was like everybody else. She was forced to close, uh, close by the uh, Dallas County, by the officials there, close her salon on March 22nd. And uh, she reopened her salon on April 24th, despite that order. And uh, when uh, the officer showed up and wrote her a uh, citation for it, that at the time was a thousand dollar citation, she tore up and uh, the cease and desist letter from the county judge Clay Jenkins. And uh, and she said, you know, I've got to open it. I've I've, I've already have uh, have missed the uh, I had to make a choice this month to pay my mortgage or, or make my pay for my business loan. She goes. I chose to do my business because the business earns money, and I need to take care of my kids, you know. And so, uh, so she was uh, arrested 
later and uh, taken to a court. I believe this happened yesterday, and I can just read you here. I'm just I'm just going off of the uh, the news story right now. But uh, this is the let's see. This was broadcast on YouTube. Uh, she stayed open and was closed down, of course. And she goes, and when she was uh, talking to the judge uh, at the at the at the sentencing, she's she said, "I couldn't feed my family, and my stylist couldn't feed her their family." She said, "We had to open up." And uh, we had to go to work because we didn't have a didn't have a, an option. And so uh, the uh, judge, before issuing the ruling, uh, gave Luther an opportunity to apologize and promise not to reopen her salon until she was allowed to do so, saying he would consider levying only a fine in lieu of the incarceration, which you demonstrated that you have so clearly earned. And so. Uh, so, in other words, he's saying, if you'll apologize, he said to the court and to your fellow citizens, I will uh, I will reduce your sentence to the time you've already spent in jail and, and just to the fine. And her response, I think here is pretty classic. She told the judge, she said she did not recant or did not uh, apologize. She goes, feeding my kids is not selfish, she told Judge Moyer. If you think the law is more important than kids getting fed, then please go ahead with your decision, but I'm not going to shut the salon. And so, here we go, you know, Dan Crenshaw, who's a congressman here in Texas, uh, put out a, uh, uh, some information, a tweet on his, uh, on his website and said, uh, you know, he, he considered this a, a gross, he called it, if I, remember, I can't remember exactly how he called it, he basically said this is a gross overreach of, of local power. And, uh, and we're seeing this, you know, over and over again, and uh, especially with the coronavirus. Now, it can be argued that this was a, uh, you know, we did this to save lives, and I agree with that, you know, and I think probably the smartest thing that, that happened in this whole COVID-19 uh, situation was when the president shut down travel from China and, uh, and from Europe and basically from all over the world to the United States. That was probably what saved more lives than anything. It was his quick action on that. But at the same time here, you know, we talked about, you know, government, government, it is historically, ever since we, ever since written history, this happens over and over and over again. You read history, uh, the federal government or the, the main central government, you know, the more power they get, the more power they want. And, uh, and I've, I've, I think by now most of the uh, listeners of the show realize that that, uh, you know, I believe in, in law and order, and I believe that there needs to be a safe society, but there's a point in which the government oversteps. And so in this particular case, it's definitely a gross overstep. But I think this is going to have ramifications for many years to come. I think, I, I know that there's going to be lawsuits that come out against these, uh, these the, both the, uh, the state and the local governments and also the federal government overreaching their constitutional authority and, uh, and shutting down businesses and, and, and doing so without due, due process of law. And so, you know, this is a, you know, there is due process here. I mean, you know, this whole situation is, is just excessive. And then I think that this Friday, I believe, which is tomorrow here in Texas, I believe that the hair salons and, and everything else will be open, you know. And uh, so uh, just want to bring that to the forefront is that uh, when, when the, uh, the law is more important when those trying to uphold and, and power is more important than the actual, the actual well-being of the citizens, we as a country, we as a, as a world, but in particular the United States, we have a big problem that we need to fix. And so what, do you, what are your thoughts on this situation, Dave? Well, uh, you know, I, I saw the case and saw the information on it just like you did, and 
You know, uh, we were talking about this on our Women's Wednesday, which I wound up hosting today. Uh, and, and, you know, and this was a, a store owner. She owns a dress store that she uh, decided to open on May the 1st. And um, she waited until she had gotten the go-ahead. But, uh, you know, she went through the same thing of having to close, and that's her business, you know, selling clothes. And... Um, and Ginger and I talked about it, and uh, you know the, I, I think maybe it's for the first time, but uh, I'm seeing people using their head instead of just uh, rushing in and doing something. I think, I think this was so serious; it got everybody's attention that this virus is for real. It can kill you. It will kill you. And you better be careful. And so I'm seeing more and more of the hand washing, more of the more of the sanitizer, hand sanitizer stuff, and more and more of the mask. And I think if a person, it was sort of like my guests that were coming into the studio, I was telling them to bring rubber bands and put my hair in a ponytail. It had gotten uh, pretty long. So I finally, uh, when my barber shop finally opened back up and. I, I was a little concerned thinking of that six-foot pair of scissors they might attack me with, you know, but uh, I went anyway. And, uh, you know, uh, my hair, my barber wore a mask, and, uh, you know, as the doctors have told us over and over again, me wearing a mask would have kept my barber from getting sick, but me wearing a mask wouldn't have kept me from getting sick. And it's, it's always been who if somebody was sick and they are the ones that needed to wear a mask, not the person that wasn't sick. And so the barber and the barber wasn't sick or anything like that, but um, they were wearing a mask. And I, I didn't feel uncomfortable at all. Just get my hair cut and I'll leave. And that's exactly what I did. Um, and it would seem to me that more and more places are respecting what we've just gone through and nobody wants to be locked down again for two weeks uh i've had as you know i've had a medical situation in my family that uh can't even go you know you can't even go to the hospital and uh the one time they did let us in we were with an escort the whole time we were there going in and coming out so you know I think everybody, and nobody was griping, you know, it's serious business, and I think people are acting acting seriously, but so is bankruptcy, and so is being broke, so is not being able to buy your family food, that's serious business too. So no, I agree. You know, I agree with the lady, the salon person, and uh, don't really have a whole lot of love or respect for the judge. Yeah, I just, uh, like I say, it's just, it, it's so, you know, it's just what I see when I look at a situation like this is just uh, it's the, the abuse of power. Mm-hmm. And that's something that I was always very careful about in my career and uh, and also with those I supervised, is that they didn't go beyond what they were constitutionally allowed to do. And even still, there's a point where, where discretion is, uh, is very important because, you know, People do things uh, not so much, you know, for the most part, what I've worked with cases of profit, where people are trying to 
profit on black markets. But then again, there comes a time when you have to use common sense, which I don't think was used in this particular case with the uh, the beauty salon owner. And uh, but there's you know a common sense call needs to be made, and where you don't okay you say okay in this particular case we're going to just kind of relax everything here. You got to open up on Friday. Let's just all let's not forget this happened, but let's use some common sense. Be ready to go on Friday, and let's just kind of you know uh, come together on this thing and, and and just do like like you talked about. Let's use common sense principles: uh, social distancing in the barber shop and or the uh, salon or where it is you're going to go, and let's use some common sense. But uh, but like I say, just when you when you put somebody in jail for seven days and find seven thousand dollars. For opening a business when they were going broke, I mean that's where common sense ends, and where, where government, you know, abuse of power comes into play. Yeah, well, and, uh, and so after after I saw it, I kept asking myself, "What good is it going to do to throw the lady in jail for seven days?" That right. makes absolutely, you know, who's going to take care of her family? Who's going to get her kids food? And you know, what have they accomplished by doing that? And it just makes the problem worse. Yeah, it just compounds a bad situation and and gets the judge bad publicity and the whole system bad publicity. Maybe if if they'd had some compassion, okay, I'm going to sentence you to seven days and then do whatever they say and say, and, but I'm not going to make you go do it, you know, whatever that term is and stuff. Uh, our time served will count for the seven days or whatever. And as far as opening your business goes, you got to comply with the law. But if you're if you're doing all the things that um, you're supposed to be doing, then you know try to limit it. Try to do it by appointment only. You know, whatever. But work with people. Damn, that's what our country's all about: is me working with you and you working with me, and we find common ground. I watch uh, Fox Business News every morning because I, you know, I try to keep up with the, my uh, investments I have, and, and you know, try to. I've always tried to avoid uh, basically losing any money. <laughs> nobody, nobody like that. And uh, but they had, uh, they have a lot of really good guests on that on that program as well. And they had uh, uh, Judge Andrew Napolitano, who's who's on Fox a lot, and uh, I really respect what he looks at the law. He's very. Uh, very well renowned for his uh, his views on the Constitution and, and the way everything from from county law all the way to federal law operates and should operate. And he actually agreed with me. We don't, he and I don't always agree on everything, but he actually we uh, we agreed uh, or my views I could say agreed with him. He basically was echoing what I'm saying right now. And he just said, you know, he said uh, he said this is a he said we've got to come up with uh, with better people in positions like these, like like the judge, for example, where where common sense and, and power, you know, goes in there and where you don't violate a person's constitutional right. It's not like this person had gone down and, and stole somebody's car or, or uh, caused, you know, actually committed a real criminal act. She hadn't been really, I mean, there's not, not really a crime at opening your store. I can see where the judge was trying to set an example, like they'd arrest you folks don't do this is what's going to happen to you. But when you're wrong, you're wrong. I mean, because I, I've said all along, you know, I, I think we let this uh, this whole uh, shutting down business thing go too long. And it's just the, the repercussions or the uh, the, re- the results of what's going to happen in the future is, is going to far outweigh what we what we saved as far as, you know, uh, 
the health of the country because I mean it's just we still don't have a real good look at the numbers on on how many percentage of people in the country actually caught this disease. Uh, did, would they did they really die from the corona disease? Was was there some other factor in there? So you know, there's just a lot of like we talked about four polls and, and numbers like that can be skewed, and they are skewed on uh, depending on who's paying for the research to to uh, to to uh, to drive home to make relevant their point of view on the situation. So you know, so we just. Uh, We've got to really look at this as a country now and decide, okay, are we going to become a uh, police state? Are we going to allow dictators to take over what we do? Or, or are we going to come back and, and be the the, uh, the country where the people make the decisions, which is what made us great to begin with? That's so, right. And what the other thing that made us great is that uh, we take breaks every now and then. So we're going to take a break and come back with Agent in Charge right after this. If your health insurance premium is more than your mortgage, Ellen Deal with Ideal Solutions is here to help. Whether you're a small business owner, individual family, or baby boomer, email MAGA45K. Well, what do you think, Sandy? We're going the right way. respond with three easy questions to help you determine if you can get away from Obamacare. As a 20-year veteran of the insurance industry, I'm here to help with all your insurance needs. Email Ellen Deal at MAGA45K at gmail.com. The disease of addiction is a life-altering challenge, not just for the person suffering its effects, but also for the family and friends who support and love the one caught in its grasp. What should be the course of treatment? Who is the best person to render treatment? And what is the best place to go for the care that is needed? We know that you want answers to these and many more questions. Call 770-696-9862 and speak to a representative of the Atlanta Healing Center. They can tailor a program specifically designed to address the needs of the person suffering with an addiction or give you guidance as to where that help may be found. Information is the key, and the trained staff at AHC is here to assist. If you wish, you can also get more information on the website located at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. And we're back on America's Web Radio and Agent in Charge. And we have the Agent in Charge on the line with us. And um, we're uh, talking to Sandy Bostic and about abuse of power. And, uh, you know... You see, you see abuse of power. It's not just in politics. It's not just in the judges' position. You know, you give you you look at abuse in power at the lowest end. You give you make a guy a manager of a ice cream parlor or, or a movie theater or this or that or whatever. You know, and. Uh, and it's sort of like it's sort of like when you're in the army. It used to be, not anymore, but it used to be. Uh, you give the guy instead of being a private, you become a private first class. You got a rocker under the under your wings, and uh, all of a sudden, I'm in charge, and you're only a private. And it's you know everybody loves power, and everybody if they get a little bit of power, they try using it. And I guess that's human nature. 
and they always seem like you know, like, well, how many times have we ever see a, a new law to be passed just to be reinforced with stricter regulations in the future. That's, which is, uh, I think, that, you know, what that has been uh, as far as the Trump administration, their their success. I mean, you can't deny their success in, in revitalizing and reviving the U.S. economy. And uh, in the first three years of, of the president's uh, time in office, and, and and it's just by relaxing the uh, regulations and taking the, the restraints off them, you know, off the off the just have really made it come back. So, uh, but like I say, so. Back onto the uh, the uh, the topic of abuse of power. The next scenario, or not really scenario, but the next case I want to discuss is the one that, that's bothered me quite a bit as I as I watch uh, the, uh, the different uh, sources of information come in, and that's on General Michael Flynn and uh, and his uh, the investigation by the FBI into him. And so we're going to cover that in a lot more detail. But uh, just first, I mean, because I say history, to understand history is to understand the way uh, things are today and, and the way they will go in the future. And uh, unfortunately, they don't teach as much history in, in the public schools as they used to because uh, you guys start asked, talking to these uh, recent graduates from college and, and uh, high school and stuff, and they don't know much about history at all, and even their own, their own uh, the history of the United States. And so I find that kind of disturbing and then I would like to see uh, more of a focused turn to history because this way you understand you, you, you learn from the mistakes of those before you not to make those mistakes again you know hopefully and uh, so but anyway but the, the FBI as it's known today it was uh, it was it was born on July 26 1908 and uh, it was started as a, uh, a small uh, it came out of the Department of Justice the Department of Justice was I believe I remember right it was uh, founded in 1970 and uh, they took members of then what was the Secret Service that was uh, that was that was founded to protect the president uh, the presidents after the assassination of Abraham Lincoln, and uh, they decided that they needed to uh, you know protect the uh, president and also had them there to uh, the Secret Service to investigate uh, financial crimes against the United States, and. Uh, out of the out of the Secret Service came the FBI in uh, 1908, and they actually changed. I'm looking for the number right here, the date, but uh, they changed the name. It was originally called, let's see, the Bureau Federal Bureau. Let's say it was originally called the Bureau, just the Bureau of Investigation, and in 1935 it became the Federal Bureau of Investigation. Uh, started out with uh, just a total of, of uh, 30 agents, and uh, over time, we know they were uh, their, their main formation, the main reason for the formation of the FBI was to pursue criminals that were committing, uh, you know, criminal acts, mostly robbery, uh, bank robberies, and, and uh, illegal bootlegging stuff across state lines. In other words, so you and I talked about this at an early, on another show where, you know, is it big? Yes, in this, in this regard, yes, when, when uh, a criminal does cross the state line to avoid pers- pers- prosecution in the state that the crime was committed, it does become a federal offense, and the FBI was created to go after these guys, that these criminals that uh, cross state lines to avoid prosecution. And uh, so it uh, started out with 30 agents, and then by, I believe about the time of uh, the 1920s, 1930s during Prohibition, uh, got up to about three to 400 agents and kept growing. And uh, at the time, there was the uh, several of the uh, senators and congressmen were really concerned about this because they they kind of grew up overnight and became a lot bigger agency than they expected, and uh, they uh, were afraid that this this agency, the FBI, would uh, 
would abuse power. It would get too big, and it would it would be too strong. It would it would have too much uh, it would have too much uh, capability, too much financing, and too many people uh, trying to uh, enforce federal law beyond the scope of their employment. You know, beyond the scope of what made sense. And so that takes us to today, and uh, we were talking about uh, Dr- uh, General Flynn. You know, Michael Flynn. Those aren't very familiar with him. He was during the Obama administration, I believe, from about uh, oh, 2012, I think it was. If you look here, just one second. I just can't. They still, they still always stick with me. Well, this was they should, but he was the uh, he was the director of the defense uh, office. Let's see, defense intelligence agency. Sorry, yeah, I don't know how I forgot that. I've worked with those guys a lot, uh, but he was. Uh, he was a director of the uh, uh, Defense Intelligence, Intelligence Agency. He was uh, more or less forced out. This was under the Obama administration. He was forced out. He was forced to retire. And, uh, and then I believe it was around 2014 because he continually uh, was advising the president uh, that uh, at the time that, that you know they did not want to, the United States did not want to uh, allow the uh the rebels in Syria to overthrow the Assad government, because he said basically, if you do that, we're going to have more fanatical fundamentalist uh, uh, Muslims running the country, and you're going to have the same situation that we have in Iraq. And so, basically, they got tired. They didn't like to hear that, and they didn't want that information to get out there. So they more or less forced him to retire. Yeah, there, there's other op- there's other uh, opinions on why he was forced out, but he is following his retirement from the uh, United States Army. Uh, he spent most of his career working in the intelligence, uh, the intelligence field, and a uh, very intelligent man, and, and knew the world situation real well. And uh, during uh, Donald Trump's campaign, he was hired to work with uh, President Trump on advising him on you know what to say and what was going on internationally as far as uh, as far as uh, intelligence went. You know, as far as he, as far as what was going, what. What to say, what not to say, you know, uh, what was going on in, in the uh, the espionage world. And so uh, when he was, uh, when President Trump was elected in 2016, he was uh, already, he was already serving with the president or in the, as he was going to be and was already in the pipeline to be his, uh, his uh, national intelligence uh, advisor the top dog at that position. And so he made a phone call, and I'm trying to come up with the, the, the timelines are everything in a case. I mean, we're not, you got, the timelines don't match, you don't have a case. And so, let's see, find this right here. I'm, just, I'm reading this off of information I pulled up. Let's see. Yeah, I'm sorry, just one second. Do they call this dead air right now? <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to find information, but anyway, so he prior to uh, about about December of uh, January of 2017, Flynn made a phone call to the uh, to the Russian ambassador to the United States, and uh, they had a conversation and and uh, about you know working together in the future and and uh, the two countries what they could do together and and uh, as far as you know getting past some of the problems and and there's. Parts of that conversation that has been remained classified, but uh, following the conversation, 
there was an investigation into Flynn through the uh, Department of uh, Defense to the, uh, the IG's office there, and which they believe that he may have overstepped his authority too early and uh, was representing himself as a government official when at the time he was not. And so uh, what that in turn is the, uh, the violation there, that's what they call the Logan Act. The Logan Act was founded in 1799. And the reason the Logan Act was, was founded is at the time there was the United States had a problem, and it was directly related with France, in which they would uh, send diplomats to into France and to uh, negotiate different types of uh, business deals and, and uh, territorial disputes. And, and one person in particular, uh, his name is, I have to look him up here just a second, but one of the diplomats, uh, he stayed behind after after these uh, particular negotiations kind of fell apart. He, he stayed behind, and even though he was no longer uh, uh, employed by the United States government, he continued on as he was a, uh, a member of the United States government and was making lucrative deals on all types of things. And so uh, this couldn't be verified like until several months later because you know, there was no electronic transmission back then. And so the government passed a, uh, the Congress passed a law, the Logan Act, that said that, that people who represent themselves as government authorities who are not government authorities at the time will be held accountable of the felony offense. And so initially this is how Flynn, what he was accused of, okay? And so the uh, information uh, went to the FBI, and, uh, and the FBI sent in a couple of agents to go talk to General Flynn about this. And uh, when General Flynn, who uh, wondered if he had listened to my program, he would have known that he should never talk to these guys, never talk to these two agents without his attorney present, but he did anyway. And so when he talked to these two uh, FBI agents, uh, they uh, listened to his story and came back, and, and he was already, and I say, they found that, that there were no real deals there taking took to, to place, and they, he's also accused to... Uh, he was, uh, he didn't really make a deal. He was just, it was more or less a, a conversation, which will work together in the future when, when the president officially takes you know, the office and we'll get all this stuff taken care of. And so they returned back to FBI headquarters and Peter Strzok, and if those who don't remember who Peter Strzok was, he was the, uh, FBI agent supervisor who was, uh, fired not too long ago for, uh, uh, basically, doing a very biased investigation into the Trump administration and uh, Peter Strzok sent them back and, and they, actually he went there with talked to the director to uh, General Flynn and uh, and more or less told him, look, he goes, you know we, you know not only do we believe that, that, that you committed a Logan Act violation, you also lied to our agents and you also lied to Vice President Pence about the uh, the, the nature of the uh, conversation that you had with the, uh, with the Russian uh uh, ambassador, and so to make a long story short, this is uh, you know there there are several ideas of what happened here. There's the uh, the first uh, opinion is that is that uh, what was going on with the FBI? They they call this you know a, a very politically uh, biased, a very politically motivated investigation of Flint. and it's argued that what they were trying to do was get uh, General Flynn fired again. Are you know, removed from office and to basically embarrass the president in the first uh, the first few weeks of his presidency, and but I look at it from a different, whole different perspective, and uh, because you know having been an agent and uh, in, and knowing the way that that agents work and the, and the way federal investigations work, you know I I maybe the only person who has this opinion, but 
I think that the FBI's uh, attitude on this whole situation was, was the whole, or their, their motive was a whole lot different than what actually became on the press. And so, and basically, what it works, and I've done this three times, I know it works, but I've done this several times in a lot of my cases. And you, you find a person when you're trying to get into a, uh, in the, an organization, when you're trying to figure out what's going on in there, you know, you get information on what, what, what you try to do. Of course, you try to find a, a, an informant that you can pay that will provide you with information. Obviously, to find an, inf- an informant that would do anything against the Trump administration would have been difficult to ever pay them, you know, if they're coming with someone that's at that level. But when you can't find someone that, that you who will do it for, for money, then you go there and you find someone who we, we call it the low-hanging fruit, someone that has direct access, and, uh, and, and uh, but they have you can prove that they've committed a criminal violation. For example, like in a drug organization, you'll find someone that's uh, part of the conspiracy, and uh, whether you know whatever their role it is, it's a driver or, or someone who uh, you know uh, laundered money, whatever. And uh, you find that person, you go ahead and and uh, I would go ahead and indict them, and uh, so that you would uh, you know you do have you know it's already it's this way it's, it's legal, and a, a grand jury has come has decided that this person has committed the offense, or there's probable cause to believe this person committed the offense, and basically what you do is you you you. Put them in a situation where, with their attorney, you know, they make a deal that, uh, okay, you you present this as, hey, rather than be prosecuted and have to go to jail, you know, would you prefer to work with us and provide us information to this organization if you if you uh, accomplish you you you'll, you'll lay it out with the attorney what the uh, what the uh, the goals of your investigation are and that you think this person can do for you and say, okay, well, if you'll identify these, uh, 10 members of the, of the uh, cartel and number two, you'll, you'll show us the way that the, uh, the money was, uh, laundered and number three, you continue to provide us information, uh, for the next two years on this organization. Then that's basically, you know, that's, that's a, that's a cooperating defendant. And that's, in my opinion, I think just looking at the whole situation here and the way things are unfolding now, I believe that's what the FBI was trying to do in this case. I think they were trying to push uh, Flynn and blackmail him into a position where he would be forced to uh, to uh, be an informant upon the Trump administration. I can't think of any other reason that you know to 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 sacrifice uh, you know anything they would get from this case on just trying to embarrass the president. I don't think that was their motivation at all. I think what they really wanted to do is get in there, you get someone at that high of a level that would be, you know, basically blackmailed in, a, in, in between a rock and a hard place, they say, and have to provide information back to them over a number of years. And so uh, any questions? Is that, is that totally uh, confusing, Dave? <laughs> no, no, not at all. In fact, uh you know, I was wondering uh, how how would he have presented it to Flynn in a in a way that Flynn would buy into it and uh, and then say that uh, you know ultimately lied. Well, as as the uh, as I said, now understand now this is I don't have access to the real information on this case, and and, and probably nobody does except for the FBI, you know. And uh, so uh, I don't want to speculate. And uh, but basically, you know, when they the two FBI agents, came, I'm just going off face value on what the what the, the press is putting out. And we all know that the press is not very reliable anymore either. No. And uh, but uh, but 
just on face value. Like I say, there's, there's, there are two agents sent to talk to the general, and I say if, if I'm sure Flynn would, would do this today, General Flynn would, but you know, he spoke to him without an attorney, but even without the attorney present, without his attorney present, they came back and, and told uh, Peter Strzok, their boss at the time, they said, hey, there's no case here. I mean, this guy didn't commit anything, and if he did, it's so minor that uh, he said, I don't think we're ever going to win this in a, in, a, in, a, uh, in, a, in a trial, in a, in a jury trial. And so that's why you look at all cases. You know, if, if it's winnable, then you go for it. If it's not winnable, then you know your taxpayers' money is better spent at investigating something else. So when, uh, as we all know, Peter Strzok was extremely politically motivated, and uh, which uh, we're going to talk about here in just a minute, which is a violation of what is called the Hatch Act, and uh, and we'll go into a little more detail on the Hatch Act here in a minute. But uh, when they uh, when these uh, agents came back, Peter Strzok, and they told him, "Say, look." Boss, their officer, their boss. He said, "There's no case here. I mean, we can't win this." And so struck, you know, being the, the zealot he was, the anti-Trump uh, zealot, went back or hater, what you want to call him, and went back. He, he went personally to talk to Flynn himself, and uh, more or less, you know, we don't know what all all was in those conversations, and uh, but uh, you know, he went back in there trying again to get him in this situation where he would feel compelled to. Uh, uh, work with the you'll know, provide them information or to uh, you know provide them information or to uh, you know uh, basically work for them I mean that's the whole idea but he, he's going to give him you know the uh, option and, and uh, Flynn obviously he didn't take the option he said you know what what do you want me to plead to so the claim was that uh, that Flynn committed he, he, he provided false statements to vice to uh, to uh, Vice President Pence on the on the elements of the conversation, and then also he lied to the FBI agents about that. And he said, "I guess there were some discrepancies there that could be argued in that regard." And so he said, "You know what? I'm not going to do this." He said, "I'll just go ahead and, and uh, plead guilty." And uh, but, like I say, I don't think he really understood the uh, the ramifications of what was going to happen over there because, like I say, he he has spent 6.7 billion dollars of his own money, you know, of his legal defense to not end up in prison the rest of his life. Or not the rest of his life, but they ended up in prison anyway. But anyway, so basically, you know, when they when they found that they they couldn't flip him, they couldn't turn him into a uh, an informant for them inside of the uh, the, the White House, then uh, then uh, they went ahead and prosecuted him. Because you know, I saw my son Jake today. Because you know, I don't know how many times as an agent I was lied to by people that we had under arrest or an investigation, and and, uh, and it's eighteen USC one thousand one false statements to a, a federal officer, a federal agent is the is the uh, the actual violation when you lie to a federal agent. That's why I said, don't, remember in the previous show, we said, don't lie to the police, you know, because it, and almost all states have their, have the, have a very similar law as well. And, uh, but it's real rare that you see these guys get prosecuted because, you know, the, uh, the sentencing is not very, uh, is not very, uh, harsh that goes with it. And two, I mean, it's just, uh, it's, it's sometimes it's hard to prove that a person lied intentionally with, with intent to, uh, to, uh, Create deception, which is part of the uh, the, uh, the 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 elements of the crime, and so uh, so anyway, when you it's rare that you see a thousand and one false statements filed against anyone, unless they're in your case, unless you're General Michael Flynn or, or Martha Stewart. That's why I got her in trouble. She she had insider information supposedly on some investments she made, but it wasn't when they uh, when she was approached and interviewed by federal agents. It was she wasn't. Uh, put in prison for for those. She wasn't convicted. Of that she was convicted of, of the one thousand one 
uh, false statements uh, statute violation. So that's my opinion on what's going on here with this case. And, uh, and it looks like now there's there's information coming out that kind of supports what I'm saying. And uh, it's going to be a huge embarrassment to the FBI when they have to uh, backtrack on this and and, uh, and and try to come up with a way to prevent this from happening in the future. And so that said, like I said, I've worked with the FBI quite a bit in the past and have good friends over there. And uh, But the uh, they've obviously got a situation. And I've, I've heard this from people with different agencies, DEA, HSI, people I know that have been assigned over to the FBI through the, through the years and that uh, – you know, they say that at the field level, you know, these guys work just like we do. They're hard work. But they said, once you get into that GS-15, and they call it Senior Executive Service, SES level, which is the top level, which is what John McCabe was and, and uh, Peter Strzok, the SES uh, service, uh, they said they've got a big problem. They said politics have, got, have gotten in there, and it made, and it's, it's clouding every decision they make. And so... Uh, you know, you and I talked about this a little bit uh Who's watching the watchers? I know you'd mentioned, well, it should be the media, but the media is as bad, if not worse, than they are. So who who do we have? And this, you know, I, I talked to a couple of other people about the show today, and uh, everybody concurs, and I, I can't address younger folks, but anyone that's uh, 35 and older, we all agree that we had put the FBI up on this pedestal, and we always have. And, uh, you know, during all, uh, I was a spy for the FBI, or I led three lives, or, or uh, FBI with Ephraim Zimbalist Jr. And, you know, we all put the FBI up like it was they walked on water of some sort, you know. And to think that we've got this kind of stuff going on, and as I'd mentioned to you before, this isn't really, if people remember back and they remember who is the legendary FBI person, and that's J. Edgar Hoover, and that's why the FBI building is named after him, I believe. Uh, I've been in there several times. It's still, it's still named after him. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's uh, he was no saint. And uh, I think that was the first real sense of abusive power was uh, J. Edgar Hoover and he had, I think he had files of every kind on everybody in the swamp and uh, excuse me uh, you know and it uh, it just uh, was one of those things that uh, you know you felt bad then but this is this is almost even worse uh, that you have agents right. that are doing this. Yeah, like you know, like I was talking about uh, the Hatch Act. You know, so, so to understand why why this is wrong, okay, this was uh, you know, it can be argued that uh, maybe they had concerns that uh, that there was uh, something going on illegal uh, inside the Trump administration, and uh, it may be. Uh, my opinion, it looks like it's more politically motivated than anything because you know you you've really got to have uh, 
have some uh, some good information or some audacity to try and put a, an informant inside the White House. I mean, because if that goes wrong, I mean, not only are you going to lose your job, you're going to get prosecuted. But but uh, but to answer your question about who's watching the who's watching the watchdog, and uh, like I told you, know, I spent several years of my career working internal investigations, and, and every agency now they used to call it internal affairs, but the name has been changed to uh, Office of Professional Responsibility. It's the same job. And basically, you know, okay. you have agents that, that specifically work at finding out, finding corruption within your, within your own agency. In my, in my case, it was, uh, I was part of ICE, uh, uh, OPR, Office of Professional Responsibility. I was, my last position was as a, as a ASAC with them in, in El Paso, and we covered a huge area. But basically, we're, you're looking for several things. You're looking, first of all, for, uh, for, well, number one, abuse of power. You're looking for, uh, you're looking for corruption. You're looking for uh, any politically motivated uh, things that are going on that would harm, that would harm the, uh, the agency, and uh, and uh, you know, and also just basic uh, allegations of, of employee misconduct. So the interesting thing here, you know, in a, in a case this high up, okay, there was a lot of people looking at this, all the way from James Comey. John McKay, Peter Strzok, Lisa Page, all these people that were involved in the uh, the, the Russia Gate or the the uh, what was the Russia 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 case called? They were believed that there was interference in the election, you know, and that and uh, there's collusion between the president and the Russians, and so there was lots of people involved in this. And in every agency, okay, I say every agency has their OPR. There, every agency in every department, such as uh, the DOJ and, and Department of Homeland Security. They have an inspector general, okay? An inspector general is, is a uh, person that's uh, appointed by the president, and, but they run an agency within the agency, and they're also a watchdog group that uh, that will investigate and, uh, and prosecute when when necessary, where, where the evidence points away, criminal investigations and or you know policy violations. And so, but each employee of every agency, you take an oath when you come in, whether you're a special agent or you're a secretary or or you're. Uh, uh, you know, uh, a finance person, whatever your position is, you take an oath that under the Hatch Act, okay, that 1939, it was an act to prevent uh, uh, bias participation in political activities under the color of your position. You take a, uh, you take a, uh, well, it's not me back up. Not so much this, the policy didn't come out of the Hatch Act, but the Hatch Act is one of the policy uh, uh, violations that you agree not to uh, to uh, commit. But, so when you, as an employee, whatever, whatever level you're in, if you have knowledge, if you have any type of knowledge at all, in any information at all, that there is an employee or groups of employees that are committing policy or illegal criminal activities within your agency, you're required to report that either to the Office of Professional Responsibility, OPR, or the or the Inspector General of your agency. I mean, it's a requirement. And the thing is, if you if you are ever if it's ever proven in an investigation that you had information that did come forth with it, it's the same as lying, and then you can be removed from that position. And so, there's a lot of people in the FBI who knows what happened, but from my knowledge, where I'm seeing, nobody's reporting. And so, which which leads me to believe that you know they've got a problem up there at the, at the very top of the FBI. That uh, Christopher Ray, the uh, the director who's now in charge of the FBI, that was put in there back when uh, uh, after Comey was uh, was fired from his position, and uh, and nothing's being done about it. That's what bothers mm-hmm. me. I don't see anything coming out in the press, and I don't you don't see a change in 
and operational procedures, and we keep seeing all this corruption that keeps coming out. And it's just it's, it, it bothers me to know that a, an agency that has this much history and this much uh, authority and this much uh, public uh, public uh, uh, what's the word here? Public <laughs> respect. <laughs> they did have well, uh, uh, so much high, so highly visible, so yeah, highly visible yeah. that uh, that you know they can't seem to get they can't. They can't focus on protecting the country anymore, and as far as they want to make, they want to send the country in the direction that they perceive as the best way for the country to go. That's not their job, no. and so their job now, if, if you don't, I mean, to understand the difference between the FBI and the CIA, and we talked about this again also in previous uh, shows that uh, the CIA, for the most part, their their job is to gather intelligence internationally. Okay. And they're they're the eyes and ears of the, of, the, of, uh, of the U.S. government all over the world. The FBI, on the other hand, you know they are they are tasked with uh, uh, domestic intelligence. Okay? So if there's spying going on inside the United States, especially if it's been going on for years between the Russian government and and, and trying to spy on us, as we spy on them in, in their country, you know the FBI is tasked with staying on top of that and figure out who the spies are. Uh, you know, prosecuting them when when uh, when uh, the, the evidence permits that to happen, or expelling them, and so they're basically they do the same job interior wise that the CIA does internationally, and so. Uh, but like I say, the Hatch Act is see, so this is like important to understand. I mean, all this stuff is going on. I mean, what I've seen the, the the main players in this whole Flynn investigation. If it goes the way it looks like it's going to happen, it, in the, and the uh, the, the uh, Flynn's defense team seems that think they have the information that will definitely get their uh, uh, client exonerated. But, you know, the Hatch Act, it, it basically it says that, you know, there's, I've got the law pulled up on my computer, and it was found, it was it was put into law on August 2nd, 1939, but basically what it says, and we used to, I used to have to enforce this, and we investigated a lot with our own employees within DHS, is that under your authority, under your position, uh, say, for example, minus a special agent, in no way, anything that I do as an agent, government employee, am, am I allowed to let politics interfere with my ability to do that job? And so, in other words, you can't be biased. You cannot have a bias towards being a Republican, Democrat. Whether you, what are you, you know, can't you can't have any type of association as far as the job goes that would cause you to not perform your job. And uh, so. What I'm seeing here is that yeah, I think we'll eventually come out of this if it is properly investigated by the IG from DOJ. I think you're going to see a lot of hatching violations where I think that most of this, for the most part, was politically motivated. Just by looking at the history of what has already happened, what we already know about the Russian investigations, and going back to the Hillary Clinton uh, email investigation, where there was no investigation in that. I mean, they call that an investigation. There was no investigation. And uh, the whole thing is just, you know, it just keeps, it just makes the FBI, unfortunately, really look bad. But it, and it, it looks like they're, they're very tainted towards the uh, the Democratic Party. I mean, there's yeah. no way to get around. They're just, they're leaning that way. Uh, that's what I started to ask. You know, it looks like, uh, you know, the, because of the Hillary situation and now the Trump situation and all this, it's, uh, it almost looks like uh, not only do we have a Democratic uh, media, but we also have a Democratic FBI, and uh, that's that goes against everything that the Constitution stands for, and you know, 
I guess you know, you're, not, you're not. You're not talking about Hoover. And as I said, I was just going to ask you, because okay. I say, because you you uh, brought some things to light with me that I didn't realize. Because uh, you know, I was I was born in 1960, so you know the the Kennedy years. Uh, I was just a baby back then. Yeah. And uh, but you know, you look at what Hoover did, and I, I've done some study on him here recently, and, and I don't think he was. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. He wasn't so much politically motivated. I think he was really motivated to try to do what was best for the country and protect the country, but he went overboard. What do you think? Well, I, I think you're right, and as it turned out, sort of wrong, too. But, uh, uh, you know, one of the things that you mentioned, you should go into a federal position uh, totally neutral. And uh, it doesn't matter really whether you're working for a party like it looks like the FBI is right at the moment, the Democratic Party, or you're doing it independently against somebody. And he was, uh, Hoover was, like I said, no saint. He had a file on everybody. I think he got a file on people driving through D.C., you know, and um, he didn't mind using that file. Now, as far as motivated by a political party, you know, you would look at his record and you'd say, well, he might have leaned towards being a Republican, but Hoover himself decided he knew more, or my opinion is, that he knew best for the country because he had his thumb on everything and that, you know, uh, Kennedy shouldn't be playing around with Marilyn Monroe because he, uh, Kennedy being president, shouldn't be playing around with Marilyn Monroe because he might slip and say something that would be uh, a national security problem are Kennedy this Kennedy that and Hoover had a real problem and then when uh, John or uh, uh, Teddy Kennedy became AG there was even more of a problem and uh, you know uh, I, I'm, yeah I, I agree with you that I don't think Hoover was necessarily politically motivated from one party or the other, but I think his problem was J. Edgar Hoover, that he thought he knew more than anybody. Probably, yeah. It makes sense. And I say, though, just, you know, power, uh, like I say, it's, it's, it's obviously human nature. Like I said, this is one thing I, I said, I've got to get over Dr. Kendall on here because he can really shed light on a lot of these situations. He's been around, you know. and uh, But, uh, you know, it's just, it's, it's one of those things that that it seems like the more you get in a lot of people is just the more they want. And so and, yeah. and a lot of it just comes down to the simple original sin, arrogance. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that, you know, that you know what's best for everyone. And so, you know, so if, if nothing else, I mean, if, if usually I don't, I don't like to draw all conclusions uh, because I like for the listeners to draw their own conclusions. But, but like I say, folks, you know, the thing is, I mean, all the evidence leads that the FBI's got a problem. Not so much at the field level, okay? I mean, I, they're still doing some pretty good work out there. But when you get up to the uh, the uh, NJ Edgar Hoover building level, where that's where they're all they're all stationed there. Now. I mean, they've, there's always something there that needs to be changed. And, and if, uh, you know, if the, the Director Ray can't do it, it's time for the president to put somebody in there to, to fix things. You know, I don't necessarily want to see the FBI dismantled and put under DHS so like that. I think they need to remain separate just like DHS needs to remain DHS needs to remain separate from, from the FBI because you know there's almost two different types of jobs and, and uh, they, there needs to be a focus on the specific types of crimes that, that each agency works but you know 
definitely, you know, from the uh, headquarters level down to at least to the uh, GS-15, the uh, GS-14 level, there needs to be, they, they need, they need a, a restructuring for sure. And uh, and if, if this the Director Ray won't get in there and do it, the President needs to put somebody in there that will. And because they are a very important organization, there's no two ways about it, And uh, but they just need to get get the get them back to focus on what they were originally intended to do and that's to uh to uh you know enforce federal law and to use common sense in doing it and not be politically biased in the in the uh in the conducting of their duties can one person do that it's it's a big job they've been around for a while and uh now just to be fair to the fbi department of justice you know when, when i left dhs i was starting to see not on the level that you're seeing with the FBI now, but we're, I was starting to see more uh, political bias at the headquarter level and, and, and th- decisions that were being made that uh, weren't really what was best for the agency and, and more importantly for the American public. But more or less, it was being it was decisions were being made to uh, to uh, to go along with you know the uh, whatever administration was sitting in office, and I can understand that because you don't want problems. And, uh, but like say there's, uh, you know, the, the, here's the deal. I mean, if people don't like to leave this, but, you know, the president is everybody's boss inside the federal government, except for the Supreme Court, except for the Congress. And so he can go really go in there, and, and except in the case, of course, of a, of a federally appointed judge, which are, they're almost impossible to remove from office. He can remove anyone from office. Right. He's the boss. He's the guy who runs the, the federal government. And so uh, I know that when you go into the FBI, that it would, it would be a political firestorm that would that would uh, that would be a result of the, the restructuring of the FBI would be immense. But it's one of those things that it really needs to be done because I mean we we keep seeing this uh, lack of uh, lack of uh, unbiased investigating going on at these super high level in these investigations, and I don't think the American people want to be told by the FBI who should be in control of their country. Right. You know what I'm saying? I mean, they, they really, I mean, they, they make that decision at the, at the polls. We've, uh, we've once again run out of time. I want to thank you for another great show, and we'll, we'll do part two next week, if that's all right with you. Sounds good. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Take care, Sandy. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.